doctrinal preaching and teaching doesn't go over so well these days. Do you remember the old days when it used to be that the preacher would stand up on Sunday morning and he would kind of um, let everybody have it? That's right, John. He'd let everybody have it. And he wouldn't tell them necessarily uh, all there was to know about a particular subject, but he would tell them what he believed and what he thought the Bible said, and it usually had to do with some doctrinal matter. And so you can pick the doctrine. The preacher would preach about it. People would open their Bibles. They would read in their Bibles and see what the preacher had to say about this particular doctrine. And then everyone would go away happy. Not so much today. These days, we tend to talk about things like um, having an experience of God on Sunday morning together. We get together on Sunday morning, we want to have an experience. We want to be encouraged, and we want to be blessed, and we want to walk away saying, God was there this morning with me when I worshipped. That's a good thing. Like, it's a very good thing. Like, I like it when people walk away from our assembly and they say when they leave, I have had an experience of God this morning. I would like to think that if you watch this drama, that something would happen to you. When you saw Jesus, apparently, a little different than I had always pictured, taking the sins away from someone and throwing those sins away and saying, I'm going to remember these sins no more. And then that person... When Christ is gone, is he ever gone? Begins to, again, put those sins back on. And then catches a glimpse of herself in the mirror as she puts the sins back on. And she runs and hides. Hides from God? Probably not. But I'd like to think that if you watched that, there'd be some kind of experience of God that you would have. Maybe you would say to yourself, boy, I do that. That's me. Sometimes in my life, I want very much to have sin completely eradicated. I want to be absolutely pure. I want to be free from sin. But God, I'm not. And maybe if you thought that for a moment this morning, you had an experience of God, and that would be a good thing. And so we want you to experience God when you come here. But there are those moments, there are those times, those mornings, when there's even room for some biblical understanding and some doctrinal preaching to take place. And this morning is one of those. I want people this morning to walk out of here today not just saying to themselves, I had an experience of God and I grew this morning, but I want people to say this morning as they leave, I've got a better understanding on something about the Bible and about doctrine than what I had when I came. And so this morning we're going to look at something. We'll get there in a while, but I want to, in terms of the biblical text, but I want to talk this morning about a particular doctrine because there is a, a point, a place for us to proclaim something that is true. Like, occasionally it's at nice, isn't it, when a Christian stands up and says, I believe something. Like, I really believe it. And when the world says to you, well, we don't believe it. And we say back to them, kindly, we do. This is what we believe. This is, this is where we stand. 
This is the place from which we're not going to move. This is who we are. And on such an understanding as this, more beliefs can be built. And we'll have understanding about who we are and what God wants from us as we begin to intellectually, rationally grasp some things that God wants us to understand. I've told you recently, Adam's here this morning, so I can tell this story again on Adam. I told you recently the story of when Adam was a little boy and he was in the living room watching television. And a commercial comes on with this very thinly clad female. You know, and she's probably voluptuous and gorgeous and all of that. And after looking at this TV commercial along with me, Adam and I in the living room together, Adam at the end of it turns and he says to me, now that's the kind of girl we don't like, isn't it, Dad? <laughs> Do you remember saying that? You, I don't know, you were about seven or something. You had learned well. That's the kind of girl. If Stephanie was, I was, I thought maybe Stephanie was going to be in here this morning with him. She's down helping Robin with the youth assembly. And I was going to say to her, Stephanie, we're glad that you're not the kind of girl that we don't like. <laughs> well, on a, in a sense, you, you think, hear that and you think, well, you know, it's a little boy. And he's, you know, he's kind of, he's got learning something there about what we are supposed to like or not like. But a truth had been gained. There was some kind of understanding. And it has stayed with him. So that Adam chooses a wife who is not the kind of girl that we don't like. She's in fact the kind of girl we do like. And Adam chose well a wife. One who loves the Lord. And who with him will serve throughout her life the same Lord that he serves. That's a good thing. And so there's an occasion here when we need to establish something that is true and say, look, this is where we're going to stand. This is what we're going to believe. This is who we are. And so there's no way around uh, the text that we're going to look at this morning because it calls for understanding. It creates understanding. It's biblical doctrine that comes out this morning. We used to care about this kind of stuff. I think it's totally appropriate to care about it today because this passage teaches us something. Now, go ahead, Colin, if you want to turn the slides on. This first slide at the top should say something like two basic ways of looking at the saints or perseverance of the saints, which is the idea that we either can or can't lose our salvation. And I've put on the the screen here the two basic ways that this particular doctrine can be understood. Now, a lot of times for us today, this isn't as big a deal. At least we, we tend not to think in terms of this question. But there was a time, and it wasn't all that long ago, when Christians would often ask the question, what about my eternal salvation? And they would do so specifically in light of the teaching of John Calvin. And so Calvin had a particular way of looking at this. Calvin's thought... That God predestines the saved to salvation. That God's will, because it's guaranteed, means that those who are chosen by him can't lose their salvation because God has chosen them. And so God preserves their saved status no matter what. Now just think about that sentence for a moment. God preserves their saved status no matter what. And he does that based on the fact that he has chosen them to salvation. He says, I've chosen you to salvation because I've chosen you. My will can't be violated. This is my will. Therefore, you can't possibly lose your salvation. Well, for those who look at the Christian life as something that we're supposed to live out well before him and not live badly before him, that raises some questions. 
What happens to those who don't live so well? What happens to those whose lives are represented by sin more than righteousness? Is there a way for me to actually lose my salvation? Can I go too far? And of course, there's a concern that if we don't say yes to that question, that people will take advantage of God. People will take advantage of his grace. People will live as they want and then say, but I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter how I live because God has forgiven me. That is a a perspective that we might have toward that doctrine. And you might easily say to someone like John Calvin, hey, wait a minute. How is it that you hold this position that we can't possibly lose our salvation when I know people who really live badly and claim Christ as their Lord? Are they still in? And can we just accept this notion of people living as they want doesn't matter how they live because you're saved anyway. Now, that's one perspective that people have had about this particular doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. There's another perspective here, that of Jacob Arminius. In this scheme, individuals have the free opportunity to believe or not believe. They're not chosen the way that Calvin's system would say they're chosen. They have some freedom here. And then the big point is, after receiving Christ, Christians can choose to walk away from faith and salvation because God does not control their choices to believe or not. And so, if I choose to live a life of sinfulness after having put on Christ, that's a free choice that I can make. But I must realize that in the course of making that choice, I risk losing my relationship with God. That one can't just go live as they want and live a life that includes a lot of sinfulness, a life that we might say is sinful, characterize it that way, and still have this strong relationship with God. That was Arminius' view. Now these two guys, Calvin and Arminius, uh, they weren't really contemporaries, missed each other by a few years, but if they would have been alive, they would not have gotten along. Can you see that? They would not have gotten along. Both of them attempted to live out their faith in a way that they thought was biblical. And that's what we want to do. We want to live out our faith in a way that we think is biblical. We want to try and follow the Bible and see what it has to say on a doctrine like this. Like, can one really just live as they want? We want to see what the Bible has to say. We want to have some opinions about that. Now, you may, at the end of this discussion this morning, have a different opinion from me, and that's okay. But I want to show you this morning, I want to make a case for what I think is a biblical position on this particular question. I want to do so by just going through a bunch of passages. And at the end, I want to read the passage that we're looking at this morning from Hebrews because I think it's decisive for the subject. And so grab a Bible because we're going to rip through some passages real quick. And I want you to see what the Bible has to say. First of all, look at Hebrews 6.4. This is not the passage we're looking at from Hebrews this morning, the main passage, but it is a passage. So turn to Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4. This should be a a few pages before page 581, I think. Or 851, sorry, I got this number reversed. 851, just before that, a few pages maybe, 850, 848, something like that. Okay? And this passage simply says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who who have tasted 
the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Now, I think that this is uh, an overstatement on Paul's part. He's trying to make the point that those who fall away are going to have a hard time coming back to Christ. And so don't fall away is his point. And we've looked at this passage already. There are some people who think, well, if they fell away, then they weren't ever Christians to begin with. Well, I don't personally, I don't buy that argument. I don't think it works. I think this passage teaches that if a person falls away, it is very difficult for them to come back to Christ. I think this is a warning to people who were thinking seriously about falling away from the church and going back to their Judaism to not do so. And the Hebrew writer is saying, don't go back there. Instead, stay where you are in Jesus. And so it's possible this morning, some would ask that question, should I stay faithful? I've been wrestling with that, Kelly. There are things going on in my life. There are intellectual questions I have, things I wrestle with that make me think maybe I should give this up. Well, if you're there this morning, I want to tell you, God doesn't want you to. He wants you to remain faithful. He wants you to be his forever. I pray that you do make that decision to stay faithful forever. Hebrews 6.4, I think, teaches that. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. When I hear the rustling pages stop, I'll know you're there. Galatians 1, look at verse 6. It's a simple line. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. I think the assumption of Paul's words there are that these people who have come to Christ are now falling away. I can't believe, he says, that you had Christ, you had the gospel, you were in his body, and now you look as though you're going to give that up and go somewhere else. Look at chapter 4, verse 9 in the same book. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You who are observing special days and months and seasons and years, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Why is it that he's wasted his efforts? Because they have come to Christ, they've secured their place within the kingdom, but now they look as though they're returning back to some kind of legalistic form of worship that's going to trap them and in the process giving up the gospel rather than staying secure in Christ. Look at chapter 5, verse 4. Simply says, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have, what's the text say? Fallen away from grace. Like I didn't think that was possible. How is it that you can fall away from grace? Well, it seems to me the only way is if you choose, in this case, to go back to the same elementary principles that you once adhered to and give up grace. When you give up grace, you have given up your relationship with Christ. You had it. It's now gone from you. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. This is one of the first passages that I ever memorized. Look at verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. 
Okay, so you're al- you once were alienated from Christ. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So you were far away from God, a long ways away, but now it says you have been brought back. You're now with Christ. You're now free. And what does the next line say? If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. So let me ask you, church, does it sound like from the text that it's possible for you to have been a long ways away from God and then to have secured salvation in Christ by coming near to him, but now risk the possibility of not staying firm within him? Does it seem like a possibility? It seems to me like it does. Turn to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Second Peter chapter one. Look at verse ten. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now on the one hand, that's a beautiful promise, a wonderful promise. But on the other hand, it's clear to me that there's the possibility of not fulfilling it. There's exhortation there on Peter's part where he says, do this and you will live. But the implication is, if you don't do this, if you make a different choice, which is what I think we have the freedom to do in Christ, to make a different choice, if you don't do this, then there's the possibility that the salvation that you now have is no longer going to be yours. Now it seems like it seems like there's there's some chance here that we could lose our salvation to me. And that seems to me significant. This is not a thing to be taken lightly. And so I would say that this doctrine that we've been looking at and the passages that bear it out They matter for us. Colin, next slide, please. It seems to me like this matters. It matters, number one, because we want to understand God and we want to know him well and relate to him as he is. And it's my impression that if you have a perception of God, that he simply doesn't care how you live after you're in Christ If that's your perception of God, then I I think you've got a wrong one. I think you have a mistaken view of God. And I don't want you to go away from here with a perception of God that I don't think is biblical, that doesn't seem to me correct. I think God does care about how you live. I think God does have expectations of his children. I think God says to us, look, don't live after coming to Christ as you lived before you came to Christ. That means that there are some things that should change within me. I don't think that I should get as angry as I used to get. I don't think I should be as lustful as I used to be. I don't think that I should drink as much as I once did. I'm not sure that my priorities should be what they once were. I think I'm going to be a different kind of father because of my relationship with Christ. I think I'm going to be a different kind of mother because of my relationship with Christ. I think I'm going to be a different kind of child because of my relationship with Christ. 
When I go to work, I think I should be a testimony to those with whom I work. It would seem to me that the, the message that the church has for the world has to be backed up by some kind of congruency between our behavior and what we say. Doesn't that make sense? And I think God ex- expects that from us. He expects us to live as people who have been saved by the grace of Christ and who are loved as his children. And so it matters, I think, to God how we live in light of having been saved by Jesus. And we can't say that we know him well and be in relationship with him like he wants us to if we live as if we don't. And so it matters. It also matters because of how God deals with us, how he how he deals with us and how that affects the way that we live. Like, how does God deal with people who either love him or don't? Is he always going to treat us the same way if we live without Christ or if we do? Aren't we treated differently by God because of the relationship we have with him? Don't we sense something in our relationship with God because of how he works with us and is in congruency with us, the spirit living within us and a oneness that's there? What if the oneness isn't there because of our behavior? Something happens between myself and God when I don't live as God wants me to live. And then I mentioned this girl. I I don't know if I put it up here. Maybe I didn't, but... There's a young lady that I met years ago named Kelly Emsick. And Kelly came to the church where I was working and explained to us one day that she was convinced that she was one of those who was not chosen. She wanted to live for Christ. She wanted to be his child. But she added up all the things in her life and she totaled them up and said, you know what? It looks to me as though I'm not one of the chosen. Apparently some are and some aren't if you take a certain perspective on this doctrine. What would it be like to feel like you weren't one of the chosen? That'd be more than just a letdown. (laughs) To go through life trying to serve God and wanting to be one of his and feeling as though you weren't selected by God. I can't think of many things that would be more hurtful than that. But there are some who are going to have to take that perspective if they in fact accept that side of the doctrine. And so I'm for freedom. I'm thinking that God wants us to make a choice for him and he wants us to follow him and be his children that way. But folks, there is incredible risk with that freedom. And so the text for the morning. We'll close with this today. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. And look at verse 26. And let me say before I read this that there's a sense in which I don't even want to read it. There's a part of me that is scared this morning to read this portion of the Bible. And and the reason why is because of what, what we're concerned about. 
in our world today. Usually we're not concerned about the things that God is concerned about. So often, we move away from some things that God appears to think are still very important. And there's an, there is a, a, a clash here between attitudes in the world and, I think, God's attitude. Like, we hear this expression, politically correct. I can't read this passage this morning and walk away from here politically correct. I think I can be theologically correct, but I can't begin to be politically correct. And somebody is going to hear this reading and they're going to think, man, listen to this judgmental word coming from the pulpit this morning. And all I'm doing is reading the Bible. And you tell me if you don't think it makes a difference to God how we live. Verse 26 of Hebrews 10. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received a knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's a part of me that doesn't even want to read it. We don't like to hear the preacher talk that way. And so often I don't. But am I not supposed to read this? Should I ignore this one? Pass over it? Act like it's not here? God cares how we live. Now let's read the rest of this. Look at verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. This is the context for these words. And is it that much different than our context today? We face some kind of persecution in our world. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those who were in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And that's what we want. We want to receive the promise. I think it's possible for human beings to fall away. We need to not. And we must remain faithful. And that means that our behavior also needs to be in line with the expectations of the Lord who loves us. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word this morning that comes from the book of Hebrews.
It's, it's a challenging word. It's a word that to our ears sounds harsh. And yet we want to take seriously what you tell us about how to live. And Father, we want to live well before you in relationship with you. Fulfilling that relationship by wonderful behavior before us, before you. And so help us, God, to persevere, to be strong in faith, to exemplify that faith, to be consistent in our faith before the world. We pray through Christ. Amen.